We praise you. We give you all the honor, glory, and power, dominion forever. It's already yours, Lord God. We just acknowledge it right now. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. A mighty fortress is our God. Amen. He's awesome. Awesome. Amen. Well, Happy New Year, Tri-Cities Church. Glad to see you. Happy 2020. Can you believe 2020? Isn't that weird? 2020. It's, it's like I, I expected to be coming to church in my hovercraft this morning, right? And that, that we would uh, have our little personal robots following us around or something. 2020. It's, it's weird. But I guess the closest uh, that any of us have this morning is some of you might have Alexa in your house, you know, to, to do all the good stuff. And maybe you have one of those little uh, doorbells with the, uh, the camera on it. I know Cedric's got one. <laughs> he had to, like, shoo a deer off of his porch one time. <laughs> kind of weird. Well, speaking of front porches, <laughs> speaking of front porches, I got a question for you. In the house that you live in now or the space that you live in, what do you love about it? And what's one thing that you would change about it? One thing you love about it, one thing you would change about it. Well, a lot of times when I preach, it's not about you just looking up here. It's about activity. So find two or three people right now, two or three people, and share the answer to those questions with them. What's one thing you love about the place you live and one thing that you just would change, okay? Maybe find somebody you don't know. That'd be even better than... All right. All right, some of y'all are going along a little too long here. Either you really like where you live or you really hate it, I don't know. Well, we're going to come back to that question. We're going to come back to that question in a minute. But um, first I wanted to do a little bit of review from last week. Remember last week, uh, Pastor Lamar talked about better beginnings, and he talked about, uh, he preached from First Chronicles, which, you know, happens often. Um, but he preached about a man named Jabez, whose, whose name originally meant pain. Man, what a name to go through life with. Hey, pain. How you doing, pain? Pain in the, oh, never mind. But, yeah, how would you like that? So, obviously, Jabez's beginning did not start very well. He didn't have a very great beginning. But uh, then his story changed when he prayed a prayer. He prayed a prayer for God to increase his territory. He prayed a prayer that, that Lamar encouraged us to be praying for us as individuals, as families, as a church, 
for the whole next year for us to ask God, what is, what is my full capacity? What is my capacity that you would have for me? And then he said for us to pray for greater surrender in the new year and that, that we would have, that we would take control of our own emotional and mental and, and spiritual health and that we would get a brand new start, a better beginning. Well, today I want to continue this theme of better beginnings. Matthew 5 through 7 is one of the greatest sermons you'll ever read. Actually, it is the greatest sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. The teachings and principles that are expressed there are countercultural. They were back then, and they are today, really. And Jesus was showing his followers that what it would look like if you had a big faith. If you really bought into what he was saying, this is what your life would look like. If you really want to follow me, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to act. So in a real sense, embracing Jesus, surrendering to him, means accepting and embracing the teachings in this sermon. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours, you're mine, without embracing the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. I love what Oswald Chambers said once about the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. The Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying this is what life on my team looks like. And then he concludes this whole sermon with a story. It's a construction story. Now, we all love a good construction story, right? Well, actually, we do. I do. Uh, My wife and I, we love to watch HGTV. If you come to our house, if I'm not watching Animal Planet or if she's not watching a baking show, then we're probably watching uh, Chip and Joanna or watching Property Brothers or something like that. But it's funny how each one of those shows has the same formula, doesn't it? It starts with the purchase of the house. And then they start working on the house, renovation starts, and then there's always a kink in the renovation, right? There's always, ooh, a crisis, and then crisis gets taken care of, and then everything ends up being beautiful. It's the same thing every time, and we still watch it. I still love it. But even though I watch all these construction shows, I have to tell you that I don't know anything about construction. I am the world's worst handyman. We hire out everything at my house. So believe it or not, I'm going to go build a house. (laughs) I really am. In Guatemala in March. (laughs) But, yes, so pray for me, but pray for that family that's getting that house. (laughs) But uh, thankfully, we'll be going with, uh, I'm going with a a group called Casas por Cristo. And they're an amazing group, and they actually take you through every step. Thank goodness, thank goodness. I don't know anything about construction, but I'm sure that Jesus knew a lot about construction. Because remember this, he was a part of Joseph and Son's construction. Remember Joseph and Son's carpeting, carp, carpenters? I can't talk this morning, y'all. Y'all pray for me, pray for me. I like to imagine that he actually, as, as the people were listening to him, that um, some of them were like, oh, yeah, that guy helped build my house. That's right. He, 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 he and his father built my house. So I'm going to read this real short story to you. Now, if you grew up in church, if you were in church since little, I want to give you a challenge, okay? While I'm reading this story, 
I want you to try not to be thinking of and singing the song in your head. Let's see if you can do it, all right? Okay, it's from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Let's just see if you can do it. Do it without, without singing or thinking about the song. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. (laughs) I've almost did the song. You know you want to sing it, don't you? All right, let's go. Ready? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rain came tumbling. You never thought you were going to do that this morning. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down. And the house on the rock stood firm. Great job. Great job. Give yourselves a hand this morning. Some of you are like, I, I don't know. What the, I'm, this is my last time here. <laughs> <clears throat> And those of you that that knew the song, that's going to be in your head the rest of the day. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, as I was preparing for this morning and for this sermon, I knew I was going to preach on this topic. Uh, We have a resident architect sitting there on the back row, Steve, Steve Rogers. And uh, I emailed him and I said, I need need to know everything you know uh, about about, uh, foundations, but just two or three sentences, please. (laughs) Well, if you know Steve, you know he goes above and beyond. So I got three or four paragraphs of stuff, but I'm going to not read all that to you. I'm going to try to actually summarize some of that. But he told me, first of all, in modern times, we can pretty much build anywhere. But if there's not a good bedrock, then it's going to cost a lot of money and it's going to be very, very complicated. And he talked about how that a lot of our cityscapes that you see, when you look at the Atlanta skyline, it's shaped actually by where bedrock was, where streams were. You don't think about that. You think, oh, they just chose a plot of land and built it. No, actually a lot of it had to do with where the bedrock was. And even though there's lots of planning that goes on and all of our modern technology that happens, there's still huge mistakes that are made. How many of you remember back in 1995, 1996 when those dorms were built for the Olympics? Maybe you remember the, um, the news story that came out of that, that actually those dorms are sinking. <clears throat> yeah, so you send your kid to Georgia State, he may end up in the Earth's core somewhere or something. They settled, they've settled nine inches more than what the builders thought they were going to settle. Then he gave me a more uh, current example. Out in San Francisco, there's a 58-story building called the Millennium Tower. And this tower... Uh, Incredible, incredible building, but it has sunk 18 inches and is actually leaning 14 inches since it was completed in 2008. That's scary. That's really scary. And so he said that the mitigation work to, has been estimated at like $100 million. And some believe that the settle, settling of this building has come because of what some work that's going on on a, a site right by it. 
but others believe that it was actually in the original plans. But either way, either way, if sufficient bedrock had been found, then these problems would have either been avoided or diminished in a great way. And then he gave me one more example, and I love this one. How many of you know what this structure is? How many of you have been there before? Anybody? World travelers. Woo, that's cool. I want to hang with y'all. <clears throat> yeah, the, the leaning, actually it's in this title now, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And it stands almost 180 feet tall, and it's leaning 120th of an inch more and more each year. And it's eventually going to topple over if something drastic doesn't happen. I went to the official tower website. There is one, actually. <laughs> and, and I got some interesting facts. First of all, I learned that in uh, 600 B.C., this, this city got its name from the Greek. Pisa, actually, in the Greek, would mean marshy land. Okay, that should have given them a little idea back then. Maybe this is not the, the place. That, and there's also other structures in Pisa that are leaning. So the tower is not the only thing you can go and see falling over there. So all this to say where you build and what you build with, what you build on is extremely important. Remember when I asked you the question, what you like and what you, what you love about your house and what you would change about your house? I'm sure that none of you talked about the foundation, did you? Or if you did talk about the foundation, it's because you're having problems with it. But none of you were like, oh, that foundation in my house. I just love it. And yet, it's the thing that's of the most importance when building a house is the foundation. So I'm curious to know, again, another poll, how many of you have had to have foundation work on a house that you've lived in? Y'all are poor. <laughs> it's expensive work, right? It's expensive. Well, I want to look at, closer at this story and these two builders and help us embrace the meaning of the story. I, I want us to look and see that both of these two, two people, the wise man and the foolish man, had something in common. And then they had something that was very, very different about them. First, notice that the, the two categories of people, they both received the word. They both received the word of Jesus. But then they have a very different response from that word. If you look again at verses 24 and 26, you'll see both of them hear Jesus' message. They both go to church every Sunday. They both read their Bibles. They know what Jesus says. But where do things diverge? Where do things split up? The wise person puts it into what? Practice. Puts it into practice. All right. The fool doesn't. Maybe you're here today because you've resolved that in 2020, you're going to be in church more. And I commend you for that. I think that's a fantastic resolution for you to have. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. And, and you're going to hear the word spoken a lot here at Tri-Cities Church this year. But what Jesus is communicating today is that it in no way ends with just hearing. It in no way ends with just sitting and hearing a sermon. We often rate our spirituality with this question. Did I, did I go to church this past Sunday? That's how we rate how we're doing spiritually. Somehow we think that church attendance makes the difference. In this story, Jesus is saying, well, you can, you can download my sermons. You can, you can uh, listen to my podcast. But if you don't do what it says, it's not going to make any 
kind of difference at all. Your resolve for 2020 may be to eat better. And you can buy all the nutritional books. You can, you can read all the blogs. You can download an app that helps keep track of your calories and your food intake and all that. Get a Fitbit. But if you keep tossing back the Twinkies, it's not going to make a difference. I could, I could say I, in 2020, I want to start exercising. I, I believe in exercise. And so I, I go and I join a gym. I meet a trainer and, and I even buy my own equipment. But if I don't ever put on the sweats and the shoes and start exercising, it doesn't make a difference. And I'm sure you've noticed in this story that we just read that Jesus didn't mince any words. He used the words wise and then he said fool. Well, the Greek word for fool was moros. Take that S away and put it in there. That's where we got it, moron. That's Jesus' words, not mine. <laughs> if you don't follow his, pra- if you don't put it into practice, you're a moron. You can have 100% church attendance this coming year and still be a fool. You can read your Bible every day in 2020 and still it will end up being a disaster. What's the difference? Putting it into practice. James had a lot to say about that. James 1, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's like a guy getting ready for, for a date, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he goes, mm, my shirt's untucked, my hair's a mess, and I got pizza on my face from, from lunch. And then he walks away and goes, I look good. You know? It's silly, isn't it? It's ridiculous. But that's how ridiculous this is, to, to look at the Word and not do what it says. One pastor put it this way. He said, unapplied truth... It's like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The value of paint is in what? It's application. So I encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount this this week. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. And as you do, remember that wisdom begins with hearing God's word. It begins there. In, in, In the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that Jesus reminds us that God's word has authority in our lives, has the authority. He'll remind you that we are to be sexually pure, both physically and mentally. He'll remind you that uh, we are to be people of integrity, that our yes should be yes, that our no should be no. In in the sermon, he he teaches about forgiveness and that it it goes even further, that we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Man, this is tough stuff. He'll he'll remind us that that our treasures are to be built on, on... not on earth, but in heaven, that we're not to judge one another, that we're not to worry about tomorrow. These are a lot of counter-cultural, tough teachings that Jesus gives us. It's not easy. You know, when, when Jesus would teach, people didn't just sit back and go, oh, that was a nice homily. <laughs> That's beautiful. I feel peace in my spirit. No, actually... Jesus' word always evoked a response. I, I love what happens. Well, love, I don't mean love. I mean, it's fascinating what happens in Luke 4 after Jesus preaches this sermon in the synagogue. Look what happens here. 
He finishes speaking, and then all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Hmm. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Yeah, the, the response was not always positive. I mean, that's, that's quite an invitation, right, when, the, when the, the crowd rushes the stage to kill the preacher. I'm not suggesting. Uh, listen, some of you... Some of you may get mad <laughs> this coming year at some sermons that get preached. Some of you may leave a little disturbed. Please don't throw anybody off a cliff. Please don't rush the stage. But if we, if we make you mad, we feel like maybe sometimes we're doing our job. Because the Word of God is, it's a call to response. It's a call to action. Think about it. Over and over in the Scripture, God is telling His people that He will act only After they act, he says to Abraham, leave your home and go where I tell you. And then he builds a great nation and gives them the promised land. He tells Moses, stretch out your rod. And then he parts the Red Sea. He tells Mary and Martha, move the stone. And then their brother Lazarus is brought back from the dead. Because James James 2 puts it very, very, very plainly says that, I know it in the King James, faith without works is dead. NIV, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by, accompanied by action, is dead. You see, the wise person hears Jesus, and then he puts it into practice. He responds with obedience. The foolish person doesn't. The, the wise and the foolish person, they both hear the word. They both hear the word, but they respond differently and those those responses lead them on two very very different paths notice in Jesus story that that also these the foolish builder and the wise builder they both have the same wish what's their wish they want to build a house they want to build a house but they have a very different resolve a very different plan of action They both have the same dream an identical desire to build a house to build a, a future, To build a legacy. This is what we all want, right? We're all building a house. A spiritual house. And the houses we build, we want them to be beautiful to the eyes, but we also want them to be sound structures, right? We want them to be well built. Nobody in their right mind starts out building a house and says, you know, I'm going to build a shack. I'm going to build something that just won't stand up. A a wonky, terrible looking house. No, no. And Jesus is making a very important point. If you don't start with the right foundation, the results will be catastrophic. I love the metaphor that Jesus uses here. It's fantastic. Sand and rock. Think about the difference between those two. Sand is pliable. It moves. It's, it's, it moves very easily. Rock is solid and firm. Sand is fun to play with, right? It's fun to mess with. But it makes a terrible, terrible building material if you're, if you're building a foundation. Sand represents building on anything other than Jesus and his word. Sand represents the path of least resistance. Think about it this way. Sand is easy. Rock is difficult. It's time consuming to build on. You know, this story is told in more than one place in, in the New Testament. It's also, 
it's also told in Luke 6. And when Jesus tells the story, it's a shorter version of it. But he says that the wise man, he actually dug down deep and laid the foundation in the rock. He had to dig a little bit. Because when you look in the Word of God, sometimes you look at it and go, man, that's hard. That's difficult. That's okay. That's actually good for you to recognize that. Rick Warren said, you can't become what God wants you to be on a faulty foundation. And then he goes on and and gives us four concepts that could describe the sand that some people build on. First, some builders build on the sand of popular culture. It's just whatever's popular, whatever the thought is of the day, that's what I'm going to base my life on. It's whatever every other person is doing. The problem is popular culture changes, doesn't it? It does not stay the same. And basing your life on popular culture means that you're basing your life on something that changes often. It's shifting sand. It doesn't work. And then others will build their houses on tradition, what mom and daddy did, because it, it was always done that way. And to a point, there's some wisdom in that, because why does something become a tradition? Because it works. Because it works. But even traditions change. Even traditions wear thin. They become obsolete. They become invalid. Mark 7, 8 is where Jesus tells the Pharisees, Hey, look, never put tradition before truth. Never. It's a good reminder for all of us. And then, some people build on the sand of reason, of intelligence and reason. God gave us this ability. He gave us the ability to to think We need to use that. But our reason is not infallible. This scripture, we've used it often here, but Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to what? To death. The smartest among us can mess up at times. Psalm 118 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. See, only God can be trusted all the time. And then lastly, some very dangerously build their houses on the sand of emotion. <laughs> their feelings. If it feels right, that's what I'm going to do. I got this feeling and that, that's, that's what. But here's the problem, y'all. That feelings, my feelings lie to me all the time. We lie to ourselves more than we lie to anybody else. And if you live by your feelings, then you're going to be manipulated constantly by your moods. Tossed to and fro. And and sand represents anything other than the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. The foolish builder says, I can do this myself. I I know what I'm doing. Jesus, you, you've said some really nice things, and I'm going to try to fit them in my house somewhere somehow, you know, and decorate the walls with them. But as far as building this house, it's, it's not your will, but mine be done. Both, both builders, they, they have the same wish. They both want to build a strong spiritual house. But it's just the resolve that the, the resolve to build the house was different. The wise man built his house upon the rock. 
The foolish man built his house on the shifting sands of his own self, his own wisdom, his own reason, his own traditions and emotions. So, the builders received the same word. They responded differently. They had the same wish, but a different resolve. And then we'll see, after the houses are complete, they both faced the same wind and waves. But there was a very, very different result. A drastic, a drastically different result. I think uh, Lamar said this very, very recently, maybe last week or the week before. Storms are going to come in your life. That's a promise from Scripture. Even Jesus in the sermon earlier has said the rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust. That's everybody. The rain is going to fall on you. You're going to have storms. Either you've just left a storm, you're headed into a storm, or you're in a storm right now. But the promise of Scripture is even that you will have storms. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to be in a storm. It means that we act on the truth of God's Word and that the storm affects us differently. But you will have storms. And how do these storms come? Sometimes they come like a washout. A washout of our culture. Our culture that, that leaves God out of everything. That wants to solve the world's problems without anything to do with the supernatural. That wants to buy their way into happiness. That wants to, to say, I can fix things through politics. Or I can fix things even through violence. And slowly but surely... The washout of culture will, arrayed, uh, will erode that sand foundation. And then the storm comes as waves, waves of crisis. And some of y'all know this very well. Some of you have just recently lost loved ones, and you're dealing with, with, with the grief of that. Some of you have children who are fighting addiction right now. Some of you, I know, have lost your job, and you're looking desperately for a job. You know all too well what it's like to face the winds, the waves of crisis. And you know the damage these waves, and sometimes they're not just waves, they're tsunamis, aren't they? You know the damage that they can do if you're not anchored to a solid rock. And then there's the winds of change. Winds of change can be positive and negative. It could be something where someone change, a person changes, people change all the time, technology changes. You could, you could be, it, the winds of change could be that you get a raise, but... Even those winds can affect you. Even those winds can test your foundation. The preacher Tony Evans, he once said that storms are important. They're an important part of God's plan for your life. They are designed to reveal your foundation. Have you ever thought about it that way? They are designed to reveal your foundation. You may think you're on a rock, but you're really on, on sand. And I have to tell you, if you, I don't know if you follow his ministry, but Pastor Tony Evans knows this all too well. Just uh, December 30th, they announced that, that his wife passed away. And his, his, her funeral is tomorrow. But I love it because even in, in the midst of that storm, he posts on Facebook a, a post of faith and hope. He says, just before the sun came up, and this is him announcing this. Just before the same sun came up this morning, the love of my life transitioned from earth and watched her first sunrise from heaven. And then later, people were saying, what can we do? What can we do? How can we help? And he, he encouraged people. He said, look, we don't need anything, but my wife loved to encourage pastor's wives, preacher's wives. 
And so instead of sending us anything, doing anything for us, I would like for you to send your pastor's wife flowers because my wife cared so much about taking care of pastors' wives. I just thought that was beautiful. That's a, that's a life that's anchored to the rock. Some of you may have had foundation problems in your home. And those of you that know that know that water has its way of finding its way in, doesn't it? And this is true of, of, of your spiritual house too. The storm, the storm is going to exploit your weakness. It's going to find it and it's going to exploit it. You know, recently we had to do some repair on the, on the uh, fellowship hall downstairs. This, this hill right out here, um, water just comes right down and it started seeping in into, into the foundation. And so we had to hire a company to come in and, and do a uh, few thousand dollars worth of work on the side, of, side wall because it was actually affecting the walls and eventually would af- affect the structure here. So we hired this company. Well, they couldn't come out for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know why? Because we were in a wet, rainy season. They couldn't come and work during the rain. And it reminded me of a principle that, that you can't do foundation repair in the middle of a storm. That's what we want God to do. A storm hits and then we're like, oh God, oh God, let me read my Bible, let me pray, let me know. you know, I, I got to fix this, I got to fix this foundation. You don't, you don't repair your foundation in the middle of the storm. You do it before the storm or you do it after the storm. We want God to do it in the middle. But Jesus is saying to us today, pour the foundation now so that you're ready when the storm comes. So my question I've got for you here at the end is similar to the one at the beginning. And it's about your house, but it's not about the house, the physical house you live in. I want to ask you, is there something about your spiritual house that you would change today? And even more importantly than that, how is your foundation How's your foundation? I don't want you to get in groups and answer this question, so don't. Some of you were sweating. (laughs) No, I want you to deal with that between you and God. Deal with that one between you and God. I love this old hymn. Y'all know this one? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. For some of you today, it's time for you to pour a foundation. It's time for you to let go of trust in yourself, of your trust in tradition, of of your trust in your own reason and thinking, the wisdom of our culture, and, and for you to put your faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ. But Jesus is calling you to a a kind of faith that has actions attached to it. It's a a faith that leads you to obedience. Jesus is asking you today to turn away from your past, to turn away from your past failures, your past sins, your past mistakes. And he's even calling, calling you to be baptized. Maybe you don't know what that is. It means to be immersed in water. Some of you have been holding off taking that step. You, or maybe you have questions about it. I'd love to talk to you if so. So I'm going to put my email address up on the, the screen, and I'd love for you to email me if you want to just talk about what it means to be baptized, what it means to, to take that step, what it means to pour a foundation. And then for others of you, you need to do some foundation repair. You, you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, but you've been a little off base. Maybe it was 
the, the past month or the past year or the past decade, but you've been off base. You've been making decisions in your life based on, on, on yourself, and you need to ba- base your life decisions on who Jesus is and what his word says. So spend some time right now doing some foundation work. And can we all resolve in 2020 to hear the message of Jesus today, and that is not to simply attend church and take notes, but then to go and do, to go and do something about what we hear, to go and, and take action. I want to read to you one more time the story. I'm going to do it from the message this time, a paraphrase. But as you do, you can close your eyes, you can keep them open, whatever. But I want you to be dealing with God on these things, dealing with God with the fact, do I need to be pouring a foundation for the first time? Do I need to do some foundation repair today? But listen to these words from Matthew 7 again, from the message version. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Jesus says, pour it now. Pour it now. Fix it now. Don't wait for the storm. We're going to come to a time now uh, that we do every Sunday, and it's a time of of three things. We, We have communion available at two tables in the front and two tables in the back. And after I pray... Uh, at your own pace, you can go to the table that's closest to you and take the bread, which is the body of Christ, and the cup, which is the blood of Christ, and celebrate this foundation, this hope that's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. You can celebrate that. There's also buckets on the table for you to, to, um, to give if you would like to give. And again, if you are new to us, don't feel any pressure. Um, this is for people who uh, call this church their home church. And uh, we would ask that you do that. And then uh, there will be people at each table to pray with you. And if you'd like to pray, maybe it's uh, something that you've, that's struck a chord with you this morning that you need to pray about or anything, uh, they'd be glad to pray with you.